Welcome, Onion Heads, to the second season of Spiritual Onion. This season we are looking at ideas, themes, and subjects that hopefully interest you as we reflect on spiritual life. We're going to take the next two podcasts to examine our God images using the theme, Will the Real God Please Stand Up? Let's introduce this subject with the story of little Johnny, who is hard at work drawing a picture in Sunday school. His teacher walks by and asks, so Johnny, what are you drawing? A picture of God. Johnny, no one knows what God looks like. They will when I get done. Little Johnny is much wiser than we might think. Each person who speaks about the nature of God, the divine energy, the sacred image, is presenting a personal portrait of God. In reality, there are as many religions as there are individuals. So to be precise, we ought to use the language of God image rather than God. God image denotes the particular and peculiar picture each of us carries perhaps largely unconscious, about the nature of God. The reality of God is primarily one of mystery. The word theologians use to describe God is transcendent, meaning the limits of possible experience. Ultimately, whatever God is exists beyond time and space as we know it. Christian theologians use the term deus absconditus, meaning hidden God, affirming the unknowability of the essence of God. Yet, we all carry our own God image, don't we? And how can that be? Maria Rizzuto, in her classic study, Birth of the Living God, writes, No child arrives at the house of God without his pet God under his arm. Psychologically, each of us initially constructs our image of God with our learned experience, but our God image always falls short of the reality. As Dr. Rizzuto points out, we all have a God image put into us as children, certainly parents, our church, present or past, radio, TV, literature, social media, and regardless of our so-called chosen religion, we all must grapple with the images deep within us provided by the collective unconscious. Basic psychological process suggests we need to work through the images put into us in order to wipe the lenses a bit clean. Then we might have a little clarity about the reality of God. If we are honest, we must wrestle with the absence of God perhaps echoing the voice of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? All of us must wrestle with this deafening silence. While honoring the silence, the mystery, we do have some clues about the Western God image by turning to the Christian scriptures. Since many of us have experience of Judeo-Christian teachings and values, it is imperative that we have a sane and respectful approach to the biblical scriptures. 
This will become more apparent later in the podcast. The helpful model places Jesus Christ in the four Gospels as our central organizing principle. As Martin Luther put it, the Bible is the cradle in which we find the Christ child. Not the Ten Commandments, not the paltry few sentences about same-sex interaction, not passages about tithing, not Paul's misguided teachings about women, to name only a few favorite subjects for poorly educated or manipulative preachers. But it is the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, his suffering, death, and resurrection. Following the Gospel of John, we acknowledge the Christ as the Word of God, not our ego-driven cherry-picking of Bible verses. Echoing the opening of the book of Genesis, John writes of Jesus Christ in this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Christ is the center, the heart, the mind, the soul of the scriptures. Next, after the life and teachings of Christ, we accept other passages of scripture that are congruent with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Then comes the rest of scripture evaluated on how close or distant certain passages are from the life and teachings of Jesus. So, for instance, the proverb, let the poor man drink and forget his woes, is likely not the best scriptural advice. In all, we have to keep in mind the context for whatever scripture we examine, tending to original languages, cultural issues, and other factors, and know the King James Version is not straight from the mouth of God. We also want to know what the scripture passage meant to the first listeners before we try to apply it to our own lives. For example, the book of Revelation was not primarily written for us. It was written in code for seven churches under persecution situated along a Roman mail right. The letter and the key to the code for the letter were sent separately in case Roman soldiers intercepted the communication. So we have this letter, but the key to the code was lost. So any attempt to interpret Revelation for today is a task without definitive answers. And why would we think that a Kentucky hillbilly has credibility just because he's convinced God has called him to preach is beyond me? Aren't we to love God with all our mind? Which might suggest we want to listen to the best minds, not the most illiterate. So let's pause for a moment and look at some of the God images being tossed out there on both the religious and political front. Let's see. There's Herschel Walker, former football star and candidate for senator in Georgia. Here's his God image. He explains why he didn't think his multiple personality disorder is a mental illness. I quote, 
Do our Lord Jesus Christ have a mental illness because he said he's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? To me, those are three different personalities. Unquote. That's an interesting point of view. But Jesus said nothing even close to this. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is a theological construct, not a liberal, literal, biblical one. Nevertheless, Walker's God image suggests Jesus could be diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder. And how about Pastor Dylan Oz of Steadfast Baptist Church in Hearst, Texas? He suggests that those who disagree with his sermon are not real Christians because the killing of gay people is what God says. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head. That's what God teaches. That's what the Bible says. Oz quotes, you don't like it? You don't like God's word? Because that is what God says. Pastor Oz, God image is one of vengeance, anger, and punishment. There's no mention of Jesus Christ at all who, unless I'm mistaken, taught love one another, love your enemies and who hung out with the outcasts of his day. Incredibly, many so-called Christians seem to believe that God loves guns. Candace Taylor, a primary candidate for governor of Georgia, who, thank God, lost, laid out her platform as Jesus, Guns, and Babies. I believe children should be trained with firearms so they understand how to use them and understand the safety. We don't need more gun control, Marjorie Taylor Greene said in a tweet. We need to return to God. Yes, somehow she sees a connection between returning to God and teaching children how to use firearms. But, as Gandhi noted, the only people who don't believe that Jesus embraced nonviolence are Christians. Or, as Martin Luther stated, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Oh, you mean a Jesus who spoke critically about family, who carried no weapons, and who stopped a disciple from doing more damage when he cut off a Roman soldier's ear? Yet the distortion knows no bounds. Rachel Ham, a Republican candidate for Secretary of State in California, said she is counting on her God to do her a favor by sending his angels to monitor the election and burn fraudulent ballots. She says, one thing I have been doing is praying that if anyone tries to steal a vote, God would send the angels to steal the vote back to make it an honest vote. Ham says she is qualified to be Secretary of State because her young son saw Jesus in her bedroom closet and Jesus was holding a scroll instructing her to run for office. So now we have a God image that includes angels who monitor the ballot box and changes ballots and a Jesus who personally nominates people for public office. Speaking at a religious service, Colorado Representative Lauren Boebert told worshipers, the church is supposed to direct the government, 
the government is not supposed to direct the church. That is not how our founding fathers intended it. She added, I'm tired of this separation of church and state junk. Well said. Let's imagine for a moment that Representative Boebert is correct. What church should direct the government? The Roman Catholic Church? The Mormons? The pacifist branch of the Mennonites? Representative Boebert would likely want the white evangelicals to call the shots. Or we could have an interdenominational committee direct the government. Although if you've ever served on a church committee, you know that most of the time there's just a lot of talk and no action because good church folk don't want to offend anybody. Finally, David Gowler sheds light on Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene and her misguided image of God. She declares that Satan is controlling the church. Her evidence? Some Christian groups are aiding undocumented immigrants. Marjorie Greene Taylor completely misses the strong Old Testament value of hospitality to the stranger, meaning immigrant. For example, Exodus 22:21, Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 10:18, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you giving them food and clothing. Leviticus 19, 34 When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Jesus' is teaching about one how one should treat immigrants, often translated as strangers or aliens, are devastating to Green's inane statements. Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan affirm two key aspects of Jewish law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall love the alien as yourself, by demolishing any distinction between neighbor and the other. All these various distortions and mistruths surrounding the God image are particularly dangerous in a day when biblical and spiritual illiteracy abounds. Now, lest you think I'm being tough on just one group of politicians, we should note that the liberal left usually just leaves God out of the discussion altogether, as if graduate degrees and liberal policy are the answer. One of Carl Jung's great statements is just two words, soul imagines. These people I have quoted are soul sick. Their imagining about God has nothing to do with the God revealed in Jesus Christ, nor can any biblical foundation be found for their statements. Yet how many people are misled by this ill-advised rhetoric and religious-sounding God images? Perhaps the greatest threat to saying God images comes from what is called Christian nationalism. Pastor J. Andrew Dougherty writes, 
It is a political ideology and cultural framework that conflates a narrow version of Christianity with American civil life. Its basic premise is that in order to be a true American, one must also be a Christian, more specifically, a white evangelical Christian. The vivid display of Christian language and symbols co-opted January 6th by the militant rioters included Christian flags, wooden crosses, Jesus save signs, chants of no king but Jesus, and impromptu prayers offered in Christ's holy name. They were mingled with sounds and signs and symbols used by far-right conspiracy theorists and white supremacy and anti-government militias, including OK hand symbols, Stop the Steel banners, Confederate flags, Crusader crosses, a hanging noose, and gallows signed with phrases like In God We Trust, God Bless the USA, and amen. I love it that spiritual author and activist Anne Lamott has said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. But where there is power, there is not love. And where there is love, there is not power. Christian nationalists are all about power and power to be used against all who oppose their agenda. But what about Jesus? When Jesus stood before Pilate, he was accused of being a king who was guilty of recruiting rebels to launch a rebellion against Roman power. We might say he was being accused of being a Jewish nationalist. But Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom experienced through metaphor, symbol, and intuition. The kingdom is an invisible reality in, with, and under the world of the five senses. Jesus told Pilate, You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. These God images being foisted on us by power-hungry extremists intent on building a misguided theocracy must be called out as a hellish attempt to undermine a free democracy and a life-giving spirituality. And what might a life-giving spirituality look like? We'll address that in two weeks with part two of Will the Real God Please Stand Up? Until then, we thank you for listening and appreciate you planting spiritual onion with your friends. Check out yourspiritualonion.com and until next time, be well, take care. Oh my dear my dear sweet love Oh my dear Oh my dear sweet love When I'm away from you 
sing yeah i gotta sing i gotta sing my Play a little right, right here. 